Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church, and good morning to those of you listening online. Um, Father's Day today, so again, uh, my personal uh, gratitude for all the brothers and the fathers in the house. Uh, You are blessed. God loves you, and God will use you mightily um, to his purpose for furthering his kingdom, for raising families, for being examples into your communities, and never forget the calling of God upon you. Um, And also, I want to also take the time maybe to acknowledge Pastor Ralph, who is here among us, and will really stand as a father figure for many of us in this house. We bless you, and we honor you, Pastor Ralph, and may God continue to strengthen you in Jesus' name. So as we open the word this morning, I think, um, thanks Emmanuel for for really praying for me. I'd like you guys to open your Bibles to Proverbs. And the last point of um, Emmanuel's prayer was that God will prepare our hearts. It's interesting that he says that because every time you come as a minister or as a somebody who is able to come and give the word and you are looking at how is God going to confirm what I've got to speak about today. Um, and I believe that God wants to reach out to your heart, to your specific heart. I want to ask you again to go beyond my accent, to go beyond the way I'm going to try maybe to explain the word of God to you. It is a word that is very, very important, like any word of God. But today is being Father's Day. We are looking into a specific set of fatherly advice that the Bible has documented. And we are going to look into the book of Proverbs. For the title, let's take it, The Heart Clinic. Heart Clinic. Um, Because effectively, our hearts matter to God. And um, before I actually um, put this message together, I've always been asking God, what is it that you want to speak to your children about? Um, It is about your heart. It is about your heart. So as we are about to listen to what God has said, please can you put your hand on your heart and I just want us to pray. Heavenly Father God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you for today. Lord, we are sitting at the foot of the cross. We are ready and prepared to listen from you, to hear from you, Lord. Speak to our hearts, O Father, the things that will help us to be the vessels you want us to be. Open our understanding, Lord. Touch our heart. Cleanse us and purify us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 4. Um, and Proverbs 4, in terms of background, Proverbs 4 is, uh, Proverbs were written by Solomon, by King Solomon. It is a set of books of, of wisdom. You recall that Solomon um, is recalled to be the wisest man that has ever lived. So I'm not disputing that you may be wise in your own right. But wisdom comes from God, and God has given to that specific man a wisdom that has never, ever been seen again, okay? So he is the one who is writing Proverbs, and specifically for Proverbs 4, he's effectively recalling the teachings of his own father, King David. David was called a man after God's own heart, and he's given to his children including Solomon, a set of life-giving principle, a set of godly advice. David taught him to retain the sound advice and live a life that counts. And it could only count if that life was lived for the Lord. That's what King Solomon then comes in and has his own children, and he wants to actually transmit this message, something that has been passed on, but he also has his own wisdom coming from God that he wants to share with his children. So when we look at it this morning, some of the, your versions in the Bible will look at Proverbs 4 and say godly advice or fatherly advice, depending on whatever you have. Is Father's Day right? But is the advice that God the Father is giving to you and to me today regarding what concerns our hearts? Amen. So, before I carry on, I will not necessarily want you to look into this and think about your own earthly father. Some of us have 
and we need to recognize it, have had a, a very bitter experience with their fathers. Some of us don't have a father figure, and we need to be cognizant of that. And others have lost their father, like myself. We've lost our dads. And others still have their parents, their dads living. And I want you, for those of you whose fathers are still alive, as you live today, make a conscious effort, please, to give them a call. Even if they haven't made it themselves, even if they have sort of pushed you away, you have to make the effort to give them a call, to say how much you care and you love them. Why? Because you are the children of God. And God with your father asks that if it is possible, be at peace with all men. Is that okay? All right. Thank you. So let's look at Proverbs 4. And in terms of Proverbs 4, I will read from the NLT version. Um, it should really be uh, similar. So the top says, a father's wise advice. Now, I, I say we are going to look at your heart, I, my, my heart. It is, it is effectively what God is looking at. And throughout Proverbs 4, there are a couple of scriptures that caught my attention that specifically mention the, the, the word heart. So let's quickly look at Proverbs 4. 4. Proverbs 4.4b 4, says, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Amen? I want to stop there because at that scripture, God ties our ability to retain his word into our heart and obedience as the mechanism that leads to life. Right? We know that Jesus is the giver of life. But I'm talking about some principles that we can apply so that it leads to life. Amen? Those who do not obey the word of God, effectively they are unlikely to walk on the narrow path. And therefore, they are walking towards missing out on their salvation. Proverbs 4.4 effectively says that the nature of our heart will determine whether our lives, our ministries, our marriages, our families, our careers will be successful and positively affect others or whether they will be short-lived. That's what this proverb 4 is saying. And it's only saying, let your heart retain my word. Then keep my comments and live. So in other words, you cannot keep the commands of God and die. You cannot keep the commands of God and be found out one thing. You will live. Now let's look at Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. He says, my son... Give attention to my words. My son or my daughter. Don't say because his son is only applicable to men. My son, my daughter. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to their flesh. Amen. There is a quote that... I've actually been able to put out of it, which is the word of God should really be the believer's most important treasure. It should be our most important treasure. A treasure that should be kept at the center of the most important safe we will ever have. That safe is our heart. We have the keys of that safe. We control the way we open it. We control the emotion that come within it. That's where God is asking us to keep and hide his word. Amen? God is asking us that we put his word at the center. At the center. That's where it all matters. At the center of that safe, of our hearts. He knows fully well that if we put it in there, there will not be any leakage. His word will not just fizzle out. It will be safeguarded. Amen? With that we come to verse 23, which is effectively the main scripture as of today. And verse 23 is telling us this. Guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. I want you to take maybe 30 seconds to read the scripture. Try to understand it. See how it reflects to you and then I kick off. 
Okay. Why is God not talking about any other vital part of the body? God could have been talking about the brain. We know the brain is a very important, is a vital part of our system. In fact, when the enemy comes after us, he starts to attack the brain. He starts to attack the mind, where the thoughts are. The brain is so critical in, you know, in our makeup, right? The brain, in some scientific review, the brain is the number one critical part of the body. It is the center of intelligence. It is the where the comments of the mobility takes place. You are running, you are walking, it's all coming from messages from the brain. It's actually also regulating the heartbeat. It sends all sorts of signals down to the body. Every single part of the body has a connection to your brain. The brain is also regulating your sleep and your sleeping patterns. It is also the room for emotional, for emotions, sorry. That's why we could talk about emotional brain. Now, if you look at, I like thrillers, I like thriller movies. Again, I need to look at what I watch properly. But you look at those 24 guys, the guys in 24, which I, I really like the theory about. I mentioned that before. Or recently I, I saw Nikita or something. I don't even remember the title. They are sharpshooters. And they train all these assassins to target a couple of, of, of vital parts of your body. They tell you always the head. So when they shoot a bullet, they try to get it in there, in the middle of your brain. The second one, they can't get it, they go for the heart. All right? We have a lot of sharp shooters from the enemy's kingdom, trying always to attack us, to destroy us. They know if they don't get the ideas, the thoughts, the evil thinking, they will then go for the heart. And the heart matters. It is a key, important place for God. And effectively, it is important in the way we relate with our maker. God could have spoken about the liver, he could have spoken about the bladder, could have spoken about any other vital parts. Some scientific reviews say there are 10 vital parts of the body. I'm not a scientist. I know that God looks at heart as the number one. Not even the brain, the heart. And now King Solomon, the wisest man on earth, says, guard your heart. With all diligence, depending on the, scripture, the, 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 the version of the Bible, with all diligence, guard it. Endeavor. Do everything in your possibility, the realm of your possibility, to keep it, to guard it. Why has God the, has the heart to, to, to come first? Is this. Maybe it's got to be because God starts, he always starts with the inner man. And then God walks out on the outer. He starts with the inner, and the heart represents us, is us. Right? Wayne Grudem said, the heart is a spiritual vessel. He says, emotions and feelings, yes, they are part of it. But more than this, it is the essence of our personality, the substance of who we are. Then we have Brian Carter, who is another senior minister in one of the churches in America. He said, the heart is the center of moral and spiritual life. So he puts the two. There is no dichotomy. It's moral and spiritual life. It's the center of it all. You can now understand probably why God is not talking about the brain. He's looking at the heart. He said, David is a man after my own heart. And from that time, he appointed David. He anointed him. He appointed him as king over Israel. Now, what is interesting for me, I've done some research about it. And what I found puzzling is the heart matters as well for the world as it does matter to God. And what do I mean by that? When I look at all the medical reviews around heart diseases, apparently death, the number one cause of death worldwide, certainly in America, is because of heart-related diseases. Number one. It's not malaria. For those of us who come from Africa, we are used to malaria. It's not HIV. All right? is heart disease, number one. And just to give you a set of statistics, 
I took it from 2016. It says heart disease is responsible for most death worldwide for both men and women alike, from all races. It tells us about 600,000 people in the U.S. alone die from heart disease every year, which means one in four. Every year we have about 715,000 Americans who have a heart attack every year. Over 80% of the world's deaths, listen to this, over 80% of the world's deaths come from heart disease. And they tend to occur in middle-income countries. Total cost, because these are the cost as well. Estimated economic cost, 313 billion US dollars. To look after heart disease, for people who die about heart, heart disease, for health expenditure, in the UK, and I've taken a, 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 a set of numbers from the British Heart Foundation, every single day, today, Sunday, 420 people will lose their lives due to cardiovascular diseases. 115 people will die less than 75 years old because of these heart-related problems. Seven million people fight their daily battles with this type of diseases. 180 people today will die from heart disease or heart attack. 12 babies will be diagnosed with this kind of conditions. 150,000 deaths every year. It's not the size of the US. It's still 150,000 deaths. And it has a cost in the UK for about 19 billion each year. That's heart disease. That's the world's view. God is just saying, your heart matters to me. But your heart matters to you, to, your heart matters to God. My heart matters to God because God cares. And God speaks to our hearts. God molds our hearts. God needs our hearts. So we understand that we need to keep our hearts for a specific reason. The Bible says, out of it, flows the issues of life. That's according to the NKJV version. It's the same scripture, Proverbs 4.23. Say, guard your heart. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. And if you look at, maybe have a mountain in your mind, and where there is a pool of water on the top, and you see the way it distills down to every single river, every single lake, every single pool of water. That's the way the heart feeds down, feeds to every single area of our lives, the things that are within. It is so critical, so important, it's precious before God. In fact, it should be what we have as the most valuable asset, our heart. Not our money, not our bank account, not our cars, not our homes and houses. No. It should be our heart. For out of it flows the issues of life. The heart is where you connect with God. It is where you connect with others. Jeremiah 29 will say, you will find me when you connect your heart with me. More than our gift, more than our ministries, more than our families, more than our degrees, more than our intellectual capacities, more than our donations to church or to good causes. God is concerned with our hearts. Amen? Amen? He's not concerned about the exterior, but with the interior of our hearts. Samuel was called to become a prophet, and he was told, God looks at the heart. I'm sorry for my pronunciation. God looks at the heart. So effectively, to be, why do we need to look at, at the heart again? Is because to be truly encouraging God, God not only was looking for David as a man after his own heart, he was also looking at men and women. And he's still looking at men and women who are after his own heart. This is effectively why the eyes of the Lord are to and fro. He's not just looking and being content of seeing evil and coming to rescue his children. God's eye is looking to and fro to see the hearts that call out for him, that call out for him, that cry out for help, that yearn for him. 
That's the way he's doing that. And he's seeing that 24-7. Every single nanosecond, God's eye is over the earth. And he sees brothers, sisters, brethren, all over the world, praying, seeking him, yearning for him, fasting, praising him, worshiping. That's the God that we serve. And he sees. And we are here sitting in the Father's Day and thinking, okay, why? My father, what makes my father happy? What, what makes him tick? What makes him smile? It's not how loud your voice is when you sing praise and worship. It's not how clappy you are. I mean, people come and say we are a clappy church. It's not how you can do your latest moves on the dancing floor before God. He looks beyond. He looks inside, even where the microscope or the medical cameras cannot get to. He looks at what is not seen with a visible eye, with a human eye. He looks deep down into you, your heart. What does he see today when he looks at it? Dejection? Hopelessness? Carelessness? Giving up? Pain? Or does he see people who know that he is and he is the one who loves you? What does he see? Does he see hope and does he see resilience in prayer? Does he see a child that is keen and willing to open the arms to the father, even if he's tired, even if the battles of life are overbearing? What does he see? Solomon's heart was turned away by his wife to follow other gods. Is recalled in the Bible. Many examples in the Bible speaking of God testing the heart of his people. Paul said this, that God tests our hearts. Is my heart selfish? Selfless? Is he prideful or is he humble? Is he patient and is he considerate? Is he ungrateful or is he grateful? Full of criticism or encouragement, unforgiving or forgiving? Is he greedy? Is he generous? Is he arrogant or is he humble? You will know. And you know what? God knows. There are some tensions, there are some issues that we have in our life. And someone said that all these issues can be traced back in the state of our hearts. Now, we will not always advocate to go back many years because we know that he who God says free is free indeed. And that once you are a new creation, all things have gone. But we have to be mindful about what we do with our hearts. We have to be mindful on how we protect it. Are we jealously keeping it? Or are we leaving it open to any sort of attacks, of weapons of the enemy, and of ungodliness? What are we opening our hearts to? You see someone say, put your heart under protective custody. Protective custody means no access from anyone except the Lord. Well, it doesn't mean that if you do that in your marriage, you will succeed in your marriage. You can't do that. It doesn't mean that if you do that with your children, you will have a wonderful relationship with your children. You can't do that. It doesn't mean that if you do that with your neighbors, you will have actually a good Thanksgiving with your neighbors. You can't do that. But he's saying, we are the guardians of our heart. We need to watch. We need to look. We need to purposely defend it. Protect it. Look after it. And I will actually give you an example. Someone was told, this was a patient. He was, he was having issues with his heart and decided to go to see one of the most competent cardiologists because he felt uneasy. I think he started having palpitation. And um, 
As soon as he got to the doctor, the doctor told him, well, you look fit. So why don't you take some blood test, come back a few weeks back, and then we'll discuss it. When the result came, the doctor called him, went back to the doctor. The doctor told him, okay, fine, you look fit, you still look fit. And the young man was happy about it. But the doctor told him, I'm concerned, though. A lot of cholesterol. A lot of cholesterol. The markers are negative, and you can't continue that way. And so his heart sank. Then the doctor said, you see, I'm very concerned about it. And that one day, you will be going and on a run, and all of a sudden, you fall down. Though fit, you may fall down. You will collapse, because while you look fit on the outside and well-built, you could be blocked on the inside and fall over. You need to guard your heart. You need to do better. What about you today? Are you just looking good on the outside and bad on the inside? Are you looking fit, handsome, and fall over? Are you looking well? Is your marriage looking good outside? And yet, you're falling over. Are you looking fit, having a good career, good studies, yet you're falling over? Are you looking like you are strong? You are a Christian that walks the race, runs the race, and yet you are stumbling. God is saying to you today, I love you so much that I cannot let this happen to your heart. But you've got to be my partner in that. You've got to help me help you. The same way the doctor told to that young man, you've got to help me, let me help you. God is telling us, let me help you. Let me take care of this heart that I created. Let me look after you the best way I can because there is no other way. Welcome Jesus. Open your heart to me. Listen to my instruction. Follow my advice. It is not a half-hearted advice. God is saying, my son, do not despise the counseling of the Lord. Do not despise it means that look at it, read it, understand it, meditate upon it, but most importantly, keep it and obey it. Do not despise it. Throughout the Bible, we see that the heart is at the center of so many things. It is at the center of our desires. In Matthew 6, 21, we see wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be also. It is at the center of trust. Proverbs 3, 5 is telling us to trust the Lord, not with all our minds, but with our heart. All our heart. Our heart is also the way that God evaluates us. Proverbs 21, 2b says, the Lord weighs the heart. He weighs it out every time. The heart is at the center of planning. Proverbs 16:9 is saying, a man's heart may plan his way. He may plan his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Heart is at the center of relationships. Proverbs 12, 26, God is saying, my son, give me your heart and let me, let your eyes observe my way. It is at the center of it all, the heart. It is also at the center of blessings. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It is at the center of that. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they are promised to see God. Now, if you don't keep your heart, the reality is that your heart will go astray. I'm not going to say that is our default position, but you do not keep your heart, it is likely to go astray. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful. Above all things, it is desperately wicked. Now, I don't want somebody to tell me my heart is desperately wicked. But that's what Jeremiah 17 says. Who can know it? So you see me every time walking, passing by, greeting you, hugging you, encouraging you, praying for you. 
and yet the word of God is telling me that my heart is desperately wicked. Now, I think it's tying up to the scripture saying that there is no one righteous. But by the time we are born again, God does the work in our heart. He cleans it. He removes anything that is desperately wicked to repurpose it and connect that heart to himself. Amen? But what it shows is that for those who have not given their life to Jesus, the default position of their heart is that it is desperately wicked. Why? Because it does not know God. James 4, 8. There is an injunction. Cleanse your heart, you sinners. Purify your heart, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's another Scripture that for me exemplifies the fact that we need ongoing work, ongoing cleansing on our heart. It's not today and then we wait for the next New Year to do another resolution. It is today and it is tomorrow. Because between today and tomorrow, there are so many things that happen around us. There are so many attacks to our hearts. There are so many things that we do see that we shouldn't see. So many things we do say that we shouldn't say. So many things that we get our heads set on that we shouldn't. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. But between today and tomorrow, her heart can collapse. You look fit today, you run, but then the cholesterol is making it collapse. Spiritual cholesterol, excess of it. It can collapse and you fall. God is saying today, look after that precious vessel of yours. Look after it. One of the points that I always struggled before, and that's from my personal experience around losing my mom and grieving about her. And I have a big family. I have a very big family. And all of a sudden, that family got limited to my wife. I didn't have my son then. And he got limited to my brothers and sisters in the church. But nothing like family, as in aunties, uncles, nephews, and nieces, name it. But one of the things that really hurt me was that as I landed to Cameroon to go for the burial, the first person that I saw didn't say condolences, didn't say, we are sorry to hear your loss. So you are here, and you do not tell anyone. And they turned their back on me, and off they went. I'm not talking about the noise behind that's not the best way to come to prepare for the funeral. That sort of did the work. It did the work. It destroyed it. It destroyed that heart. I exposed it, and it got, it got attacked. And what I didn't realize many years after it is I thought I'd healed. I thought I could relate. I thought I'd release forgiveness. I didn't. I hadn't, and I didn't know. I hadn't released forgiveness. Because not only the pain of the loss, it got to jump on the top of the wickedness of people and of what was actually now safeguarded in my heart instead of letting go. Didn't realize it. So one year we do pray, we pray for our families, we pray for our friends, we pray for our relatives. And of course, we have discussion about the families. We've got discussion about my mom, and, and every time I start being angry. Un- unknowingly, I start just being angry. Until my wife said, you haven't forgiven. She said, you haven't forgiven. I'm like, no, I have forgiven. She said, you haven't. And then God used that to stop me and put me in front of the mirror and say, it is anchored deep in your heart. You haven't forgiven them. That's three years. It took three years. Now, Christ forgave me. It took a day. Maybe half a second. It took me three years to forgive. Then I realized that I went on my knees, pray, I've got to forgive me. And I released forgiveness. And God set me free. How many of you haven't forgiven today? Someone Friends, relatives, mates, colleagues, managers. Why are you sitting? What is your heart showing? 
You see, if that is anchored in you, as the Bible says that out of the heart flows the issues of life, out of that bitterness, out of that anger, out of that unforgiveness, what do you think will be released to others around you? You will not know it, but you will not be pure. And for those who have hurt you, I doubt you will release blessings. You need to let go. The heart can become hardened and it needs strengthening. That's another reason why we need to look at after it. Mark 6.52 says, For they had not understood about the laws because their heart was hardened. Now, let me take you back to this scripture. It's about the disciples. Jesus is saying his disciples' hearts were hardened. Why? Because they had not understood. Though they had been with him, though they'd seen the miracles, though they'd been with him day and night, in the presence of the Savior, in the presence of the King of Kings, the Messiah himself, they hadn't understood because their hearts were hardened. These are the same people who've been empowered to go and cast out demons, to go and pray in the name of Jesus, to go and set the captive free. But they hadn't understood. Have you understood today? They hadn't understood Jesus, who was coming to them. You look at the context of Mark 6.52, Jesus walking on water. They are surprised. They hadn't understood that he is God, indeed. Because if they had understood, they wouldn't have been surprised of him walking on water. But they hadn't understood you can come to church daily. You can come to church every Sunday. You can come to church every single time. Midweek service, naming, first name on the, on the checklist. Have you understood who you're serving? Have you understood who Jesus is and what he wants from you? It's not your ministry. Thank you. It's not, he wants, he wants you. The heart needs strengthening. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. And you know what? It can happen daily. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Remember that? Forever. God is our strength, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying that to expose your heart. I can't see what is in your heart. God does. But effectively, if you feel that he's weak, if you feel like he needs, he, needs, he needs to be quick and he needs to be strengthened, God is telling you that he is the strength indeed. He is that strength that you are looking for. What is it that you feel too weak about? What is it that is making your heart melt? Do you remember the children of Israel who are actually called to go and see the land and spy the land? All right? God is saying, I'm going to bless you guys. Just go and spy it. Ten people, go and spy it. And they go and spy it, and all what they see is giant, and others see the opportunities. And effectively, they come back, and Caleb and Joshua are all good. Yes, it's fine, flowing with milk and honey. We are good. Let's go for it. And the other guys come and say, well, no go. That's a no go. They make noise. They make noise to the camp. The camp starts wailing, and they start complaining about God. Is the heart always that of a Christian that complains? Or is the heart that of a Christian that praises? They start making noises. Wailing, wailing, wailing. He rises to heaven. Right? And God is telling them, your heart is not right. Your heart does not recognize me. Your heart does not hear me. It does not hear my voice. It does not see my work. What are you doing? Okay? You will not enter the land. And that generation never entered the land. Bar Joshua and Caleb. All that because the heart did not understand. And the heart needs strengthening. And God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. You know, there are times in our life that we know our feelings. We can look into the perfect law of liberty. We can look on how God is strengthening us and is working through us. But it's also sometimes good to say, God, you know what? I take a pause there. I just need you to repurpose my heart. I just need you to do that which you want to do. I just want to give away what I've been holding on to. Lord, show me. Show me where I stand today. Show me who I am today. Show me what kind of child I am to you, my father. And please, Lord, help me 
There is no shame in that. It's actually what God longs for. But if you don't do that, behold, the Bible says we are trying to deceive God and God cannot be mocked. God is not deceived. He wants the sincerity. Remember what I said at the beginning, that the heart is the place where we connect with God. So if it is modeled, what type of connection is it? I mean, I think of your broadband connection, right? <laughs> I got, what is this Sky Broadband? I mean, I like premiership, so I keep on going for the Sky. You know, I think they have the best deal on the planet. <laughs> Unfortunately, every time Arsenal lose, then I want to disconnect it, but it's not possible. <laughs> I have hope for the season, by the way. Effectively, I take that connection, and they are very clever because the MPS or those who are technical, they will know. The broadband bandwidth always shrinks around midnight. Now, I'm probably not always awake at midnight on my, my screen, but it shrinks. And then I can't connect, and I have to reboot. And it's meant to be fiber, how do you call that? Exactly. And it looks like a dial-up to me, Right? Because the connection speed is shrinking and I can no longer connect. Now, this is not because of the pipes. I'm sure that they are shutting it down somewhere. But to take that analogy, and you wanting to connect high debit with God on a fiber optic, in terms of your prayer ascending to heaven, and praying that from the time that you start praying, God say, I've heard your prayer, I've answered you. It was so fast, it was so pure, your heart did not divert it. What you're exposing yourself to with a heart that is not looked after is that the time you actually sent it, there is a little bit of model in there. It's not a clean line. It's hindered. And then you find yourself and God telling you, sorry, you are not receiving because you pray a mist. Why? Because you pray a mist because you are not looking at the state of your heart. First of all, cleanse that heart. Repent. Then you can I'm not going to the doctrine in there. I'm not going to tell you every time you need to speak to God, you need to repent. But the Bible says God is holy. And if God is holy, he cannot withstand sin. And if you are in a position of sin and you have not asked God for forgiveness, then you can understand where you are going with your prayer life. Amen. Amen. How can we keep our hearts? There are three things there that I want to say about how can we keep our hearts. When God is saying to keep our heart, it does sort of imply also that we know what is in our heart. Naturally, it implies that we know what is in our heart. It also implies that we know what we should guard against. It also implies that we are able to guard our heart with all diligence. So three things that it implies. We know what is in heart. We know how what or what we should guard against, and we know that we can do it with all diligence. So it's not alfred. So what is in our heart? I think we should ask in prayer to God for God to give us that insight, for us to think about it, to look at ourselves, and ask God to give us that insight. Paul was clever enough to do that and humble enough, certainly not clever enough. He was wise and humble enough because it said that I'm the first of all sinners. He's Paul, right? He's the one admitting he's the first or the worst offender, the worst of sinners. He says that in, in his letters. Lord, help me to understand where I stand with you. How do we know what we should guard against? We know what pollutes our heart. We do know. I'm not there to tell you. You know. We know that internet side that is not look good to look at. We know these eyes that are always coming and seeding, sowing a seed. We know these places that we shouldn't go to. We know these books we shouldn't be reading or these magazines we shouldn't be reading. We know the places that we should avoid at all times. We know those relationships that are not edifying but that are trying to trip us. We know whether our heart is starting coveting on things. We know the adulterous thinking is not the action. It starts always by thinking. We know the boasting. I know better than him. I know better than her. We know where the pride comes from. And by the way, we also suffer from pride. Don't we? I mean, if you say that you don't suffer from pride, then it means that probably you are one of the victims of pride. We are all suffer from pride. Then, what are the things that make us fearful? 
then we expose ourselves to those things. Or we don't guard ourselves against those things. The Bible asks us to be disciplined. We are called the disciple one. Without that discipline, and the primary discipline, he said, above all else, guard your heart. Above any other thing you have in life, guard your heart. So that discipline is a discipline that is the first one that you are going to be able to show at the gates of heaven that I've looked after my heart with all diligence. You look against immorality. You watch against it. So the discipline of the Christian life, our bad Bible reading, extended time of worship. Because extended time of worship is not just on a Sunday morning for 35, 40 minutes. It doesn't depend on whether it is a new song or whether it is a song that we know, oh, we are happy, we know that song, and all we worship. That's not it. The recipe is where to do in the closet, what you do when nobody sees you, how long you connect, and how truthful you are when you connect with God. Matthew 15, 18 to 20. I want us to look at it, and I'll be closing soon. Let's look at Matthew 15, 18 to 20. I'm taking it from NLT. Matthew 15, and I read. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts. From the heart comes murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands do not defile you. So when the question, and I asked you the question earlier, what do we guard against? This is evident in the word of God. We are talking about immorality at its best. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. And we know how to shy away from those. We do know. Oh, yes, we know. Don't tell me you don't know, because if you don't know, it means that you haven't heard God. And all of us, we have heard God. And all of us, we know what God says. It's not a matter of which sin is the least impacting the other. Which sin am I comfortable with? It's immorality. Just get it done with. There is no trading with the devil, no shaking of hands, no high-fiving the devil. Just run away from it. Just guard your heart. Because when you say that I'm where I need to be, that's where the surprise comes in. And you fall down. We should keep our heart right before God. No anxiety, but prayer and the peace of God. Psalm 19, 112, and I will close with that. It says, by inclining ourselves to do the will of God. It says, I have inclined myself to do the will of God. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Another version is, I have inclined myself to do the will of God. And again, I want to stop you there, just for the next two minutes. You don't put back right something that is already right. If we are already doing the will of God, we continue doing it. But by nature, remember Jeremiah 17, by nature, we will need a reset of our heart. We will need every time to refocus on the things that matter. Because by the time we put the word of God in the center of that heart, by the time we set ourselves on keeping this word into our heart, to the very end, to the very end means until the day Christ calls us back home. If we do this, we know we will live. Because this is the promise of God. And maybe I will ask to Dr. Balfour when he comes on Tuesday. But I've read somewhere that many of the Bible scholars, many of the students of the word of God, 
some of the teachers and lecturers are always anxious about one thing. He says, they say this. They say, for all those who start, they all come with different reasons for a different ministry that they think that they do have. Well, most of them have heard from God and are clear on how they go. The reality is that those whose hearts are set on keeping the decrees end up fulfilling their ministries. Others, there may be distraction coming in, but they, most often than not, tend not to have successful ministries or tend not to even complete the course. That is telling you something, that this is probably number one secret for all Christians, all of us right now, that A, we guard our heart, but two, we make sure that it's set, it is set, it is set on keeping the decrees to the very end. That means there is no trade-off, there is no shenanigans about it. We need to go for it. And by the time we go for it, we will know. Because the more we approach God, the more he draws closer to us, and the more he shows us, and the more he helps us reset it. But remember, we need a reset. And I believe that's what God has for you today. It's a fatherly advice. You can read Proverbs 4. I've read it, and I think I will continue to read it. But it is fatherly advice to the children. I've got to quote there. We say, it does not start with our heart, but our habits are oftentimes creating the condition in which our heart dwells. So I will also encourage you to look at your habits. Which habits do you have as a Christian, as a child of God? The heart that honors God keeps avoiding hypocrisy because it understands the source of defilement and it's worked on for purity. And as we do that, we will cultivate habits that honor God, habits that help us safeguard our hearts. You look after your bank account very well. You look after your WhatsApp messages very well that are encrypted anyway. You look after your car keys very well. You look after your data privacy. I don't want my date of birth to be known. I don't want these and these to be known. These are just things that help us live here. How well will you want to guard your heart today? That's the question. How well will you want it to be secured? That's what you need to answer. Not to me. I have the same job to do. But that's why we need to tell God. And the solution is in Colossians 3 to, to get our heart set on things above. And by doing so, God will bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.